You're listening to On the Same Page, a podcast from the Jefferson Madison Regional Library. Welcome back to a new episode of On the Same Page, a podcast from the Jefferson Madison Regional Library System. I'm Abby, here with my co-host, EJ. That's right, I'm EJ. In today's episode, we're sharing how to grow, learn, and connect at all nine branches of JMRL. We will also have our final installment of Overbooked, our podcast book club, currently featuring All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Dewar. Stick around until the end of the episode to hear the rundown, what Abby and I are up to these days. For one final housekeeping announcement, we want to announce that next episode, two weeks from today, Friday, March 24th, we will have a super special podcast episode, Ross Gay, author of The Book of Delights, our same page community read, will be here on the podcast for a special interview with EJ and I. So tune in. We can't wait to share that interview with you. It's going to be absolutely delightful. Now, without further ado, here's how you can grow, learn, and connect these next two weeks at JMRL. All are welcome to visit the Bookmobile. Monday through Thursday, the Bookmobile has scheduled stops in Abermale County. Afternoons and evenings, the Bookmobile visits its scheduled stops in Charlottesville. At Central, take advantage of our Sunday hours. We have a mini meditation retreat on March 12th from 2 to 4 and a conversation with author Charlie Burton on Sunday, March 19th from 2 to 3. At Crozet, teen D&D fans can learn how to be a dungeon master on Saturday, March 18th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. At Gordon, kids 5 to 10 are invited to a steam creation station on Tuesday, March 21st from 3 to 4 p.m. At Green, the Book Bats Book Club for kids in grades 1 through 3 will be meeting on Monday, March 13th from 3.30 to 4.30. No advanced reading necessary and a free book will be provided to all participants. At Louisa, don't miss the Spring Fling Garden Preparation Session, complete with materials to take home on Saturday, March 18th from 2 to 3 p.m. At Nelson, Folder Friday is happening on Friday, March 17th. Pick up your folder this month celebrating women's history while supplies last. At Northside, join us for a panel discussion with three local black business owners and influencers who are redefining the local wine and agro-tourism industry on Thursday, March 16th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. At Scottsville, the Good Life Book Club will be meeting on Thursday, March 23rd at 7 p.m. to discuss The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. Book clubs all around our service area are discussing The Book of Delights this month, so be sure to check out the same page Community Read webpage for all the details. As always, be sure to check the calendar to find more information and to register for these great events. All right, listeners, you know what time it is. It's overbooked time. Today, we are continuing our discussion of all the light we cannot see. If you missed our first two installments, check our show notes below for a link to those episodes. 
Today, we will be talking about things like pace and tone, writing style. We're also going to be offering you some read-alikes so that if you loved this book, you can go find your next great read. So let's just jump right in. I think we should start with the general characteristics here, Abby. So, you know, the storyline largely is character driven. There is extremely strong character development. When we talk about character development, I think it can mean a variety of things. But to me, if if the character is the same as they were on page one, as they are on the last page, then maybe there wasn't so much character development. Here, we have massive character development. Every single character changes, everyone evolves, everyone moves with their story forward and with their actions somehow. Another thing that I really liked about this is that the flaws of the main characters were pretty much a main focus and and not the flaws in necessarily a bad way. Flaws don't have to be bad, but I think most people can agree that the characters are pretty lovable. And that there is at least one character in all the light we cannot see who you, you know, fall in love with. And that that's what a lot of people are looking for when they're reading, especially something that is kind of as melancholy and haunting as as this title is to have a character that you are excited for and want to do well and want to know what happens to them. That's important in good writing. Let's kind of talk about the moods we felt about the rest of the book. Abby, in in my opinion, it, it was very, I found it to be quite tense, but also reflective. And I think those would probably be the top two for me. What do you think, Abby? What kind of emotions and moods did the writing bring to you? When we talk about mood, I think we're talking about how we feel when we're reading it. So I agree with what you're saying with tense and reflective. Actually, I agree with both of those because somehow, even though I would say that it was not a fast-paced book, I would say it was more of a slow-paced or medium-paced book because it picks up. I found it much slower at the beginning, but then picks up a little bit more to a medium speed. Even not being fast-paced or action-driven, I found the writing style to be so compelling and complex that it's what you talked about earlier. We wanted to know what happened to the characters. So I felt that tension because I wanted to know what happened. The chapters are short. He often ended the chapter on a cliffhanger. So even though it wasn't so plot-driven, there was something happened that you did, you felt tense about. I think challenging is another really interesting word to describe this book because you are conflicted with how you feel about people at times, especially Werner. We've talked about that him a lot. He's on the wrong team, but he's a likable character, but he doesn't always make the best choices. So he's a challenging character to wrestle with. Like, how do you feel about him? And do you root for him? And in what ways do you root for him? Even the romance between him and Murray Lore, which was, you know, short, brief-lived, I I wasn't sure if I wanted it to continue. When they first separated, of course, your first thought is, well, are they going to find each other again? And I wasn't 100% sure if I wanted them to or not. So it, I think there was a lot of mystery. I felt uncertain throughout a lot of the book. I felt like I didn't 100% know how to feel 
but I liked that. I felt like I was on the edge of my seat and I wanted to know more. And you made an interesting point, Abby, about the pacing. It wasn't hard to read. I I didn't find that I was trying to skip ahead. Sometimes when I'm reading a book or listening, I'm you know, I'm like, okay, when are we going to get started? When when's the story going to happen? This this had mystery and story and and something happening all the time. And even if that something happening was, you know, conversations between Mary Lore and Etienne, like but those were so I don't know, more relaxing and reflective than this kind of dark, challenging, kind of mysterious story. So I I liked the bright points in the story, you know, the light that we got to see it sometimes. Also related to mood or tone, writing style and choices is that I totally agree with you when you say this book wasn't hard to read. Another way that that rings true is that it wasn't gruesome. It wasn't gritty or violent, gory, even though there was killing in it. still a war novel, but as we've discussed before, so many times the war almost felt like it was on the periphery because it was about lives that were lived during the war. There's not a lot of sit violence or gruesome details of violence in this novel, but there are some content warnings. Rape, murder, bullying, child death, gun violence. What I will say about these content warnings here is is none of them were that explicit. Would it be wrong to go into our read-alikes? Because what I find interesting about read-alikes is that you, you realize, oh, this book would match well for this reason. And it draws out a very important component of the book. Like my first read-alike that I found was The Street of a Thousand Blossoms by Gail Sukiyama. And it's a novel with an oversized heart. And I feel like All the Light We Cannot See totally encompasses that. The heart of these relationships, just you feel so much. So it's, it's a feeling kind of book. This is a book about life in Japan before, during, and after World War II. The story follows two brothers, so you have that adolescent component in it. It is through the devastation of the war and the hardships of the post-war reconstruction. The brothers are also orphaned, so that's another connection with All the Light We Cannot See. They are raised by their grandparents in Tokyo. All of the characters are very vividly rendered, and while it's about the war, the story really centers on their home life and the street that we see in the title, the street of a thousand blossoms. There's a domestic quality about it, which I think is another really huge thing about all the light we cannot see. The domestic pieces are so memorable. Werner in the children's home, Mary Lore in Etienne's home. The domestic piece is huge. I think one that fits kind of the mystery part of All the Light We Cannot See, which there is some mystery in it, is The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. So as we know, there's tons of mysteries at the heart of All the Light We Cannot See, but honestly, it's nothing compared to the mysteries that linger in the edges of this book. This book, The Light Between Oceans, is set just after World War I, And it is haunting, 
just like all the light we cannot see. It's also quite compelling. And But people do describe it as a quick read, so a little bit faster paced. But there's tons of secrets there and lots of twists and turns. So just to give you a, a quick uh, synopsis of um, The Light Between Oceans, it's about um, a couple named Tom and Isabel who have been trying to have a child for a long time and they've had miscarriages and a stillbirth and and it is it's it's difficult for them it's difficult for Isabel she's grieving a lot and one day she hears a baby crying and her and her husband find a baby washed up on shore and this is set in Australia Tom is a lighthouse keeper and his wife, you know, wants, wants to be a mother and wants to, wants to take on that journey, but they're unable to have a child. And so when they hear a baby crying, Isabel thinks this is, this is their destiny. You know, they're supposed to have this child because it washed up so close to them and on their journey and what they were doing. So the mystery behind it is, you know, what, what, what actions they took to, a, to basically adopt this child that we don't know was an orphan. We don't know if this child had parents elsewhere that, you know, Isabel and Tom weren't aware of. So the book really deals with Isabel and Tom's decision to raise the baby Lucy as their own and, and about all of the choices and the devastation that comes to all of the lives that they affected because of this choice. So it it matches that mystery, the intrigue, the pacing is slightly faster probably than all the light we cannot see, but but still enough to keep us coming back from more lovable characters, flawed characters, characters you want to do well, you want something to happen to them that's good. And I think those really reflect on how we felt about Mary Lore and Werner and Etienne all throughout all the light we cannot see. So that's my first read alike. For my next choice, I chose The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. And this is a kind of classic novel, usually targeted towards young adults, but it's mature enough that I read it as an adult and enjoyed it. So I think it has a wide audience, which All the Light We Cannot See also does. It, it's often branded as an adult book that young adults can read and enjoy, probably because it lacks a lot of that explicit content. So The Book Thief is compelling. It's lyrical. It's haunting. And it's moving. It has that atmosphere that All the Light We Cannot See has. It also features an adolescent. And it has this unique twist that it's narrated by Death himself. And he narrates this World War II story of Liesel. And it's from the time that she's taken to live in Germany with a foster family in this working class neighborhood. I chose this not just for the setting and the atmosphere similarities and because there's a a younger person at the center of it, but... The Book Thief is also unique in that it really champions the idea of books, words, stories. Liesel's thing is that she has just stolen her first book. She doesn't know how to read, but she has stolen a book. And that ends up being 
kind of the thing that she does. She collects stolen books. She collects friends and makes relationships. And it's just a story about how books and words are important to her, how they shape her. It's a huge part of the book. And I thought that that related to All the Light We Cannot See, which centers in a way on radio and also education and learning and how these forces from a creator, a creative person, whether they're making a book or they're making a radio program, how someone's creation can shape someone far away. The Book Thief is also just really well written. It's one that sticks with you. The poetic syntax of it, it just resonates. And when you're reading it, you're going to stop and think about the lines and the phrases and the sentences, which is the exact same way with all the light we cannot see. It's lyrical. It reads at times like poetry. It's sentences that you just want to linger on. So that was my next choice. So so moving to a nonfiction option, if you're looking for more of a true story um, that also follows a lot of the same pacing and moods and everything we've been discussing in this episode, this nonfiction read-alike is called Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. It is based on the unbelievable true story of Louis Zamperini, who was an Olympic star, a prisoner of war, and an American hero. This book is, of course, fact-based, and it presents a ton of information with some heartbreaking details. So basically, Zamperini was a Air Force bomber who crashed into the Pacific Ocean and subsequently disappeared. There was only, you know, some debris from his plane crash and oil, gasoline, and of course, blood. But then a face appeared and it was Zamperini. He was on a life raft and now we get to hear the extraordinary odyssey of his journey during the Second World War. When he was a teenager, he was very much into the sport of running. He even went to the Berlin Olympics and wanted to medal and try to get a four-minute mile on the record books. But when the war came, he became an airman and he had to get into planes and fly and do things that maybe he didn't totally agree with or want to do, but he did them. So many young men had to do. And this story, Unbroken, is really just his story of survival, honestly. Um, he has to deal with, you know, a, uh, a raft that's not really fully supporting him, thirst, starvation, enemy aircraft. The story by Hillenbrand really is hard to read because it's true and it happened and and you hear about this person suffering and it's described in such a way that you can, you can feel it. It, and that's her style of writing. That's how she writes. And and it's very near to people's hearts. And that's why people resonate so much with her writing is because it feels real and raw and scary and sad and, but also meaningful to kind of bring some of the light 
side into this darkness of the ocean. For our last recommendation, we are going to suggest Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. And this is a less traditional read-alike suggestion, maybe a bit of a stretch, but there are elements that are certainly related. And it's also, we don't want to give you something where you're just going to be reading the same book all over again. You know, so this, it's a little different, which is what we want. But this is a book that combines the magical and the mundane and history as well, which makes the history feel very rich, very compelling, and even very personal. So the book includes this time-traveling, time-switching, time-controlling element. Basically, our main character, Ursula, she's born and she dies and she's born again, over and over again. What if you could live life again and again until you got it right? That's the idea here. She's first born in 1910 and she immediately dies. And then she's born again and she lives this unusual life where she grows and she changes and she makes decisions that affect way beyond her own domestic life. Like one of our Rita likes, we said, yeah, it's very domestic. This main character's choices have huge sweeping effects. You actually get to see World War II played out in multiple different ways. The way that it, that it plays out depends on the actions of Ursula. So we see it go one way and then we see it go another way. So if you want to see history reimagined richly and imaginatively, but also realistically in terms of just character development, this would be a great choice. We wanted to include a quote from All the Light We Cannot See because we're talking about the writing. And now we want you to just have a chance to sample it for yourself. The quote comes from Werner, and he's writing a letter to his sister, Yuta. I have been feeling very clear-headed lately, and what I want to write about today is the sea. It contains so many colors, silver at dawn, green at noon, dark blue in the evening. Sometimes it looks almost red, or it will turn the color of old coins. Right now, the shadows of clouds are dragging across it, and patches of sunlight are touching down everywhere. White strings of gulls drag over it like beads. It is my favorite thing, I think, that I have ever seen. Sometimes I catch myself staring at it and forget my duties. It seems big enough to contain everything anyone could ever feel. We wanted to leave you with a chance to taste some of this language that we've been talking about, the atmosphere of the world that Anthony Dora creates for you through his language. It's so beautifully rendered, describing the ocean, describing the sea. And the sea is a huge symbol in this book from the wordplay of all the light we cannot see, S-E-E, and then the ocean, S-E-A, which Werner and Marie Lore both are drawn to very instinctively. There's also the 20,000 leagues under the sea as a huge symbol and how the theme of that book and the theme of this book, you know, can play and talk with each other. So there is so much to say about ocean and water, but that just shows the mass, the genius of Anthony Dora that he puts this huge symbol within the book. 
And now it's time for the rundown. Abby, what are you reading? I am reading Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. I am currently reading Counterfeit by Kristen Chen, and it's pretty interesting so far. I'm listening to it, and I'm excited because I think that it fits into some of my reading resolutions for 2023 because it's written in a very interesting fashion, but I'm not even halfway through yet, so I won't give any spoilers for it, but I'm excited to talk about it at a future book chat. What are you watching, Abby? Right now, we are watching tons of kids' shows on DVD. If you are behind the times like me and you don't have a lot of streaming services, don't forget, you can check out DVDs of your kids' favorite shows from your library. We're really into Daniel Tiger and Dinosaur Train right now. I am currently watching House of the Dragon. I think I've been watching this for a while now on the rundown. I think it's been my answer a couple of times. So yes, I'm still catching up on House of the Dragon, which is the Game of Thrones prequel on HBO, also available on DVD through JMRL. All right, Abby. So what are you learning? Well, one of my other tasks as a reference and programming librarian is that I help run the Brown Baggers book group, which meets the third Thursday of every month from noon to one. And we just finished discussing My Monticello by Jocelyn Nicole Johnson. And our readers wanted more. They wanted a lot of resources. They wanted interviews from Jocelyn Nicole Johnson and a lot more. So I'm going to do a deep dive into her and the book and all of that. It has a personal feel because it's so local. She's local. The story is local. So we were just hungry for more. I am learning all about the Wolves of Yellowstone National Park for an upcoming book club. And I didn't know a lot of information about them. Like I had no idea that wolves had largely left Yellowstone and then had been reintroduced some years later to help with hunting the population of elk and deer and all sorts of other animals. I had no idea that wolves had left Yellowstone or that they had been reintroduced. So it's been really interesting to learn about all of that. All right, Abby. So here's our random question of the rundown. If you could go anywhere in the world and do one thing like skydiving or bungee jumping or anything like that, is there anything that maybe you won't do in your life, but something you maybe always wanted to do or maybe something that looked fun? My mom for her 40th birthday went skydiving and said it was amazing. And it wasn't even her idea, but somebody surprised her with this. I thought that was pretty daring to surprise someone with that kind of experience, because what if they don't want to do it? I don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. But something does come to mind. What I would like to do is travel to a really deserted area of the world and just like backpack by myself, solo traveling like in the in the wilderness. I don't know where exactly that would be Um, because the closest that I can think of is when my husband and I went on a road trip out west after college. One of our destinations on our road trip was Capitol Reef National Park. And 
we went there for the orchards and all of that, but there's a special part of the park that is much more deserted. I forget exactly what it's called, but we went and we were like the only car on this huge loop that took us all day to drive through and hike through and walk through. And we didn't see anybody else there. So that I would like to recreate that in a way to just go somewhere totally deserted and hike there. My random question for you, EJ, is if you were not a librarian, what would you do? What career would you have or what would you be? Uh, let's see. That's that's pretty tough, Abby. I don't remember ever wanting to be anything other than a librarian, um, which is good, I guess. So I chose the right field. But if I was not a librarian, probably a writer or writing full-time, doing poetry full-time. I don't know, something like that. Something creative, writing style-wise that I could do and focus more time into. I don't have a lot of time now to write, so I write whenever I can. Sometimes I just write in my head and it never gets down on paper. And sometimes I voice record things to myself and to write later. So yeah, I guess being a writer and spending my time doing that. And that was the rundown. Thank you listeners for being a part of this podcast community. We're so happy to have you here tuning in every two weeks. We hope you'll join us in taking a moment to thank the friends of the library who generously support this podcast. If you'd like to learn more or join the friends, you can head to their website at jmrlfriends.org. That's all for us today. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. Don't forget, you can get involved on social media or by emailing us at podcast at jmrl.org. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad to be on the same page. page.